The first of my posts was a focus summary of Part 5, Chapter 5, and Part 6, Chapter 1. Awkwardly stumbling over his words when he finds that Sonia is not alone, but with Raskolnikov, Lebeziatnikov tells her that Katerina Ivanovna has gone out of her mind. He says that she tracked down Marmolatov's former chief at the home of a general, and when she found him, abused and threw something at him. Now she is screaming, flinging herself about, and proclaiming that the children will sing and dance like beggars in the street, so that everyone might see what these well-born children have come to. Sonia runs out of the room, and Lebeziatnikov and Raskolnikov follow. As they go out, Lebeziatnikov tells Raskolnikov his theory that the tubercles have gone to Katerina Ivanovna's brain, since, if a person isn't mad, you can convince him logically that he has nothing to cry about, and he will stop crying. Raskolnikov says life would be too easy if that were true, but Lebeziatnikov defends his conviction with reference to the serious experiments being done to cure the insane simply by logical argument. Reaching his house, Raskolnikov nods a farewell to Lebeziatnikov, who hurries on. Raskolnikov goes into his little room and stands there, gazing at the familiar sights and hearing the sounds outside. And then he sits down on the sofa, feeling more fearfully alone in that moment than he ever has. He scorns himself for begging for Sonia's tears and feels he will come to hate her. He thinks to himself that perhaps it would be better in Siberia. At that moment, Dunya comes in, and he looks vacantly at her. She looks at him with love, and tells him softly that she knows all, since Razumihin has explained everything to her. She expresses sympathy with his indignation at the accusations against him, and his decision to cut off his family in the face of his own troubles. She reassures him that she does not judge him, and she says that if he should ever need her, he can call and she will come. As she turns to go, Raskolnikov tells her that Razumihin is a good fellow, capable of real love, and she first flushes, then feels alarm at this parting message. She goes out troubled. Raskolnikov had longed to take her in his arms, and even to tell her, but he feared that she might shudder at the memory of his embrace when she knew. Then, he thinks of Sonia. He takes up his cap and goes out, not considering how ill he is. He wanders aimlessly, enduring the special form of misery that had begun to oppress him of late. A foretaste of eternity on a square yard of space. He feels weak and fears he will do something stupid, like go to Sonia. Lebeziatnikov then rushes up to him, saying that Katerina Ivanovna has carried out her plan, and that she and Sonia are frantic. He takes Raskolnikov to them. On the canal bank near Sonia's lodging is Katerina Ivanovna, frantic, exhausted, and breathless, with intense suffering in her consumptive face. She tries to coax the children to dance and sing, and shouts at and beats them when they don't understand. 
She appeals to the well-dressed people in the crowd to see what these genteel, aristocratic children have been brought to. She tries to join in the singing herself, but breaks down with a fearful cough. Kolya and Lita weep in terror, and it only makes her more furious. Sonia had beseeched her to return home, but she was not to be persuaded. She longs for the general to see that they are an honorable and bereaved family reduced to beggary. She vows to perform under his window every day, and, if the Tsar drives by, to fall at his knees and beg for his protection. Raskolnikov tries to persuade her that it is unseemly for the future principal of a boarding school to be seen this way, and she calls all that castles in the air, and laughs until she breaks down coughing again. She rants about how she had thrown an inkpot at the general, about how much Sonia has borne for them, and about the cruelty of the compassionless crowds, while she tries to direct her children's singing, and shouts at them for their stupidity when they fail to do as she commands. A policeman forces his way through the crowd, and at the same moment a gentleman hands her a three-ruble note. She bows to him, explains her circumstances, and asks for his protection. But the policeman tells her she cannot sing in the streets without a license. He asks her to come with him, saying she is clearly ill. Kolya and Lida, scared out of their wits at the sight of the policeman, take each other by the hand and run away. Katerina Ivanovna runs after them, panting for breath, and Sonia and Polenka follow. As she runs, Katerina Ivanovna stumbles and falls down, and Sonia cries out that she is bleeding. The official observes to Raskolnikov that she has not cut herself, but rather that she is bleeding from her lungs, and that she is dying. Sonia implores them to take Katerina Ivanovna to her room, and the gentleman and the policeman help to carry her. A crowd follows them to the door, including Polenka, who had managed to catch Kolya and Lida, and, to Raskolnikov's surprise, Svidrigailov. Katerina Ivanovna recovers her breath, and the bleeding ceases for a time. Through parched lips covered with blood, she asks for the children. Looking about her with a face of suffering, she says to Sonia, So that's how you live. She tells Sonia that the children are hers now, and asks to lie down and die in peace. She says she does not want a priest, since God knows how she has suffered and will forgive her. And if he won't, she doesn't care. She becomes delirious again and begins speaking incoherently, raving about Madame Lipovexel, reminiscing about a song the children's father used to sing to her when they were engaged pleading with the imaginary general to protect her children, and shrieking with terror. Then she recognizes Sonia and tells her farewell, saying she is done for, and broken. Then she gives a deep sigh and dies. Sonia falls upon her. Polenka throws herself at her feet and kisses them, and the little ones hold each other and scream. Raskolnikov walks to the window, and Lebeziatnikov skips up to him, saying she is dead. Svidrigailov then approaches Raskolnikov, 
saying that he will pay for the funeral arrangements and see that the children are put into a good orphan asylum. That is how he will use the money that Dunya refused. Raskolnikov asks suspiciously what his motive is for such benevolence. Svidrigailov says he is doing it simply from humanity, adding with a wink that Katerina Ivanovna isn't a louse, after all, like some old pawnbroker. And Raskolnikov recognizes his own words to Sonia. He asks Svidrigailov with horror how he knows. Svidrigailov says that he is a neighbor, just on the other side of the wall. He adds that he foretold they would become friends, and here they have. After that, a fog of dreary solitude falls over Raskolnikov, and his mind is clouded. He would learn later from others how morbid, panicked, and confused he had been at this time. He would recall periods, too, of the apathy and insensibility seen in the dying, and of a desperate longing to escape his cares. He finds himself consumed with the menacing words of Svidrigailov. This new fact makes him uneasy, but he shows no eagerness for an explanation. Instead, as he wanders the town in a daze, the thought of Svidrigailov will suddenly overtake him and he will realize he ought to come to an understanding with him. Several times, he finds himself having aimlessly gone to Sonia's, and encounters Svidrigailov there, but they do not speak of it. As promised, Svidrigailov makes arrangements for the funeral and for Katerina Ivanovna's children. One day, he sees Raskolnikov on the stairs, and comments that he does not seem himself. He promises they will talk things over, and adds suddenly that what all men need is fresh air, fresh air. The priest and server come up the stairs, on their way to sing the requiem service for Katerina Ivanovna. Raskolnikov follows them and listens at the door. The presence of death brings oppressive memories from childhood, and the sight of the children kneeling, Polenka weeping, and Sonia praying— disturbs him. He realizes that Sonia had not even looked at him for two days. After the service, he approaches her, and she takes his hands and lays her head on his shoulder. There is not a trace of disgust in her gesture, and Raskolnikov sees it as one of complete self-abnegation. Raskolnikov presses her hand and goes out feeling miserable. He longs to be alone, but even though he is often by himself, he feels always aware of some uneasy presence that annoys him. He feels more solitary in a crowd, and he begins longing for a challenge, for Porfiry or Svidrigailov. One night, he runs out of a tavern in a panic, wakes up in some bushes, and walks home in a fever. The next day, he greedily eats some food brought to him by Nastasia, and he begins to feel fresher and more calm. Then the door opens, and Razumihin comes in. Razumihin sees Raskolnikov eating, and decides he is not ill. As he addresses Raskolnikov, he is clearly troubled, and speaks with unconcealed annoyance. He asks Raskolnikov not to tell him his secrets— and says that he has only come to find out once and for all whether Raskolnikov is mad. 
He tells Raskolnikov that his mother, humiliated that her son has abandoned her, but has still time for his mistress, has fallen ill. He says that he went to Sonia's to find out what was going on, and, discovering only the funeral, concluded that this wasn't about the girl. And yet, he finds Raskolnikov guzzling boiled beef, not at all appearing mad. He tells Raskolnikov he can go to hell, says he will not worry himself over his secrets, and declares that he will go out for a drinking bout. Raskolnikov tells Razumihin that he saw Dunya the previous day, and that he told her Razumihin was a good and honest man. He says that he didn't tell her Razumihin loves her, because she knows already, and that perhaps she loves him too. Razumihin's heart throbs violently. Razumihin calls him a capital fellow, says his secrets must be some ridiculous nonsense, and convinces himself that Raskolnikov is a political conspirator. He mentions a letter Dunya received, after which she told Razumihin they might soon have to part, and locked herself in her room. He had assumed Raskolnikov must know about this letter, and is surprised when he indicates that he doesn't. He hastens out, saying there is no need now to drink, and on his way he tells Raskolnikov that one of the workmen has confessed to the murder. He laughs at himself for having defended the workman on the basis of his psychological theory, saying that he must have been a genius of hypocrisy. Raskolnikov asks from whom he heard about the confession, and Razumihin says it was Porfiry. He goes out, feeling drunk without wine, and telling himself again that Raskolnikov is a political conspirator, chastising himself for having taken leave of his senses and wronging him. He recalls the letter, which prompts him to think of Dunya, and he breaks into a run. Raskolnikov feels renewed by the means of escape that had come, the escape of struggle. Ever since the scene with Nikolai at Porfiry's, he had been suffocating, had grown feebler, and had agreed with Sonia that he could not go on living like this. Svidrigailov offered him some struggle, but nothing to compare with that of Porfiry. Now he was consumed with questions. Why would Porfiry lead Razumihin to think he believed in Nikolai's confession? What was his plan? Why had he not come? He experiences a rush of hate for both Svidrigailov and Porfiry, and he feels capable of killing either one. As he opens the door to go out, he stumbles upon Porfiry himself, and, startled, wonders if this is the end. In a friendly tone, he asks Porfiry to come in and sit down, and, like a man who had been through terror with a brigand and finally feels the knife at his throat, he feels no fear. The two men stare at each other, while Raskolnikov thinks to himself, Come, why don't you speak?'